Light On, Light Through, Episode 17, Hello Solar System, What on Earth Are They Doing to Poor Pluto? Hey, that's a pretty good title, isn't it, for an episode? The Hello Solar System is part of the interest that I've already mentioned to you that I have in space exploration. And obviously there's much more to human beings going out into space than just the solar system. But of course the solar system is also the closest environment we have in space beyond our own planet. And it will certainly be and is already the next step in the human migration and the increasing human presence uh, into the cosmos. And as I was talking about two weeks ago when uh, I was discussing Carl Sagan, I truly believe that we'll never be able to fully understand what we're doing here on this earth, what the nature of our life and existence truly is, if we stay stuck down on this planet. So I'm very interested in humans moving out into space and in uh, space beyond our world. And I thought I would devote today's episode to the outer reaches of our solar system. And that, in particular, is the planet Pluto. Or maybe it's no longer a planet. Because last year in 2006, and this story received some attention a group of astronomers decided that Pluto was no longer a planet. Now, I don't know about you, but, uh, you know, I grew up uh, thinking Pluto was a planet. Pluto was always one of my favorite planets. It's a very cool planet, actually literally very cool, way out there so far away from the sun, but also figuratively cool, nice, quiet planet way out there uh, on the edge of our solar system. And uh, it, it annoyed me when I heard that some astronomers said, well, hey, Pluto is no longer a planet. And it apparently has bothered a whole bunch of other people, too, including Michael Burstein, who is head of an organization called Pluto is a Planet. And this is really a very interesting question. It goes really even beyond Pluto. Who decides what the proper name, what the proper uh, attribution is? Uh, You know, for example, if we look at an animal, is it a lion? Is it a tiger? You know, these questions seem very obvious, but sometimes they're not. And if, if we look at a heavenly body... Is it a planet? Is it an asteroid? Is it a moon? So all of these questions uh, are very important, and they've come into play uh, with this demotion of Pluto from being a planet to now they're calling it a dwarf planet. So with that in mind, I uh, called Michael Burstein a few days ago, and I should mention he's not only head of this organization, but he's a very gifted and award-winning science fiction writer. And I started our interview by asking him, what's going on here with Pluto? What exactly is the problem that these astronomers have with Pluto being considered a planet? The essential problem is that Pluto is small. And it's actually smaller than most of the planets of the solar system. Now, I, I have to admit that I, I don't like the way that, they, that you know, the astronomers kind of looked at Pluto and said it was too small, because I remember years ago Isaac Asimov once described our solar system as four planets 
plus debris. The four planets he was referring to are, of course, the gas giants, um, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune. And we, here on Earth, were actually among the debris. But what happened with Pluto is that when it was first discovered uh, by Clyde Tombaugh in the 1930s, um, they thought it was a much larger body. And it wasn't until many years later, really it started, I think, in the 1970s when we found Pluto's uh, major satellite, Charon, that they were able to start determining its mass and realize, you know, this thing actually isn't as massive, isn't as massive as we thought it was. And then they started discovering, you know, with um, the Hubble Space Telescope and other, they started discovering that it was actually even smaller than the other small planets. I mean, you, you, people think of a planet and you think, oh, well, Pluto isn't it a planet. Isn't it about as big as Earth or Mercury? And actually, Pluto is about on the size of Earth's moon. So it's really smaller. In fact, if you think about um, the uh, Galilean satellites, you know, the, the four major satellites, the four major moons of Jupiter, Io, Europa, Callisto, Ganymede, I think they're actually bigger than Pluto is. But, but wait a second, but Pluto, though, isn't revolving around a planet the way our moon and the way Jupiter's moons are, right? I mean, it is, in some sense, circling the sun. Now, Pluto is, well, Pluto is directly orbiting the sun, although, I, I, honestly, that was actually another part of the problem. Charon, Pluto's moon, is actually so big compared to Pluto that the center of orbit of the two bodies is actually between the two of them. I mean, here's an example. Everybody thinks that the moon orbits the Earth, right? Well, actually, technically, that's not quite correct. The moon and the Earth, just like any two bodies that orbit, actually orbit a common center of gravity. There's a point that the two of them are orbiting. It just so happens that because Earth is so much more massive than the moon, that that center of gravity is actually buried deep within the Earth's surface. In fact, it is pretty much at the center of the Earth. Okay. All right, so I think I got this then. So basically, uh, the problem with Pluto is that it was smaller than people at first expected or estimated. And secondly, Pluto has a big moon, which might even be bigger than Pluto itself. And, and it's the sort of combination of those two that's circling the sun. Well, and there's one third problem, though, which is that in recent years, we've started discovering other objects around the same area in the solar system that Pluto is that are about the same size as Pluto. And there's speculation that there's going to be quite a lot of them. An astronomer named Mike Brown um, from, I think, the University of California was the guy who discovered the body that we're now calling Eris. You may remember that there was something called Xena for a while there with a moon called Gabrielle. That was the unofficial name. Isn't that a science fiction story? or No, that's... Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, those were the, that was the unofficial name that he'd given them when he discovered them. Um, he, he, he got to give them the official names. They were approved, and they're now called Eris and Dysnomia. But um, the fact is that you know, he started discovering these other planetary bodies. So you also had a lot of astronomers concerned that if we have a whole large number of objects that are in the Kuiper belt, that's what that area of space is called, named for a scientist named Kuiper, which is spelled K-U-I-P-E-R, that maybe that we were going to discover a whole bunch of bodies and that perhaps Pluto shouldn't be considered a planet anymore. They were thinking maybe it would be the first among the Kuiper belt objects. That was where the whole problem came from. Okay. Actually, you know, I, I, I wrote a science fiction story called Ninth Wanderer about, I don't know, about 10 years ago, in which, well, I'll, I'll give away the uh, denouement of the story. It was that Pluto was really a, an alien spaceship. So who knows? Maybe there's a whole fleet of ships out there that look like chunks of rock. 
Yeah, I want to say that Pluto has had actually a, a, a long and dignified history in science fiction. A lot of people have put space stations there. A lot of people have used it as, as, a, as an important part of the solar system. So the problem then is that uh, there's, there's more than one thing out there, and these are, things are smaller. But, they, but from what we do know, they are circling the sun. So what would be the problem of, for example, just saying, okay, well, we'll redefine what we mean by Pluto. Pluto is not just one big piece of rock. It's actually two pieces of rock. Maybe there are more pieces of rock. In other words, it would be the equivalent of saying, well, you know, North America, you know, now includes a, a couple of islands that are, you know, off some coast. So, but why then the, the sort of insistence on the part of, uh, is it a majority of the scientific community, whoever it is who calls these shots, to, to, to strip Pluto of its planetary status? Well, that, that's where you start getting into some interesting politics and discussion going on. Because, you know, planet itself has a long history of being a, not a very well-defined term. I mean, planet originally meant, you know, from the Greek for wanderer. And it was because, uh, you know, the ancient Greeks looked in the sky and they saw the stars and they saw what they called the wandering stars, you know, the ones that we now call the planets. And then the term eventually started being used for, you know, once we knew that these bodies were were objects that did not shine under their own power and they orbited the sun. You know, we started using planet for a particular like, rocky object and then, of course, the, you know, the gaseous objects. The problem is that I think the IAU was worried that they were going to sort of open up the gates. What's the, what's the IAU? The IAU, thank you, is the International Astronomical Union. It's essentially the international organization of astronomers, and I think, I think the organization started in 1913. And they are really the ones who have the authority to do a lot of things when it comes to the solar system. For example, they have the authority to name all the bodies of the solar system. You know, just like you, know, you don't want to, when you have a lot of pol different political entities and, and scientists who have to show their loyalty to their different countries, they want to name the things they discover for their own kings and queens and presidents and what have you. And so eventually it was decided there should be international committees to like vet these, so that, you know, no, but no one political entity in the one country gets, you know, all this credit. Oh, well, that makes sense, I think, for new discoveries. But, but stripping uh, Pluto of its planetary uh, identity, that's, that's pretty extreme, isn't it? Well, it is, I think, extreme. And I think the problem, as I said, is that the word planet had become very badly defined in recent years. And because a planet is essentially an astronomical body, uh, it was the IAU that essentially has to a great extent, the authority to decide what is and isn't a planet. And um, they had actually been debating this for quite some years. I think they made it had a, they even actually I think set up a committee three you know three years before you know the current uh, committee. But in 2006, they essentially formed a planet definition committee uh, headed by a very distinguished astronomer named Owen Gingrich, whose job it was to come up with a new definition for planet, an explicit definition that we could use. And I personally think that Gingrich and this committee came up with a wonderful definition of planet because they essentially decided to let science determine what is a planet. As Gingrich himself would put it, um, you can't have an object that gets to be so massive that it doesn't become a sphere. All the large planets are spheres. But if you look at the smaller objects, they're not necessarily spheres. Look at the moons of Mars, for example, Phobos and Deimos. They look like kind of long extended rocks, almost like potato shapes. And what Gingrich and the Planet Definition Committee said is let a planet be something that has enough mass that its gravity turns it into a sphere. 
Okay, so did Pluto satisfy those criteria? Pluto absolutely satisfied those criteria. Pluto is massive enough to have come, become a sphere. The, the, the term for this in science, by the way, is hydrostatic equilibrium, the idea that the force of gravity pulls it in, the force of its own pressure pushes out and makes the spherical shape. All right, so let me get this straight, though. So what happened is this, uh, this uh, group of scientists basically tried to clarify what they meant by planet, and they came up with criteria that uh, you, you're saying make a lot of sense, and it certainly seems to make sense to me, and Pluto satisfies the, these criteria, and yet Pluto is no longer considered a planet. So what happened in between? What happened in between was that another faction of scientists at the IAU General Assembly, which met this past summer in Prague, did not like the definition, and in essence hijacked the definition and came up with their own. I'm not quite sure why they didn't like the definition. I think part of the problem was that the new definition for planet was actually going to uh, create a few new planets in the solar system. Um, for one thing, Charon, Pluto's moon, is also would technically be a planet because as I remember I mentioned that center of mass business before center of gravity. Since the, two, since the center of gravity is actually in between the two of them, technically that would make Pluto and Charon a double planet system. And then the other thing that would have happened is that the largest asteroid in the solar system, which is called Ceres, C-E-R-E-S, would have been redefined as a planet. So why, why is that bad? I personally don't think it's bad. I think it would have created a, given us, I think, a 12-planet planet system. In fact, um, Ceres, by the way, was considered a planet when it was first discovered. I believe for about 65 years, Ceres was considered a planet until they decided it was just the first of the whole asteroid belt. Let me get this straight. So, so a, a group of renegade scientists in Prague, in effect, hijacked the definition of planet, twisted it for whatever reason to, to uh, exclude Pluto. And what then happens? The rest of the world just blindly has to follow what these scientists in Prague say? In other words, why can't I just say, hey, I don't care what those people in Prague say. You know, what, what your Michael Burstein saying makes much more sense. I'm going to continue uh, considering Pluto a planet. Well, we have to back up for a moment, first of all, because that rogue group of scientists did, in fact, put their definition to a vote. So technically, the IAU at their big meeting had their vote, and they voted these new definitions for the term planet, and they created this new term called dwarf planet, which is what they would say Pluto now is. The problem with this vote is that although, yes, it did take place at the IAU's business meeting, as it were, it was on the last day of the meeting. Many of the astronomers had left. Some of those astronomers, uh, who were most of the ones who were still sticking around, weren't even planetary scientists. I mean, you have like X-ray astronomers and gamma-ray astronomers and you know these types of people, you know, cosmologists, deciding on a term that's not really part of their field. Well, that makes perfect sense. Uh, but I guess it's unfortunate, but it's an education, and I guess our listeners should take note of this: that we tend to think that science is somehow above or immune from these political uh, decisions. But in fact, we're dealing with human beings. Scientists are human beings, obviously. And uh, very often, the kind of political wrangling that we expect in other areas of human endeavor uh, clearly play a role in, in these kinds of scientific decisions. We don't have all that much time left, so let's just uh, talk for a few minutes. What, what would you uh, propose that people do? In other words, do you think that if people just refuse to 
give up on Pluto as a planet, then at some point uh, another group of scientists may realize the error that the people in Prague made, the political wrangling that led to that, and therefore Pluto will be restored as a planet. Well, let me tell you well, two things that are happening. First of all, on the professional astronomer's level, there is a movement to restore Pluto as a planet. One of the people spearheading it is Alan Stern, who is the principal investigator of the New Horizons mission, which is actually a mission that was launched in January of last year going to Pluto. It's going to reach Pluto in 2015. And Stern is actually organizing a, a special meeting of astronomers this year to try to redefine planet again. Even though the IAU doesn't meet until uh, 2009, I think he wants to try to come up with a definition and get things changed back as soon as possible. But one of the things that I find important to remind people is that the IAU has the authority it has because we, the human race, gave it this authority. You know, it is an international astronomical union that was given the authority by the citizens of the world. So actually, slightly before they started to decide they were going to vote, on the definition of planet, I actually spearheaded the creation of a grassroots organization called the Society for the Preservation of Pluto as a Planet. And you can actually find our website at plutoasaplanet.org. And by the way, there'll be uh, on the show notes for this episode of Light On, Light Through, there'll be a link that uh, any of our listeners can easily click on to get to your uh, page and, and that organization. Essentially, we're trying to be a clearinghouse, as it were, for the common person, you know, as opposed to the professional astronomer. You know, even though I have a scientific background and I've done science, in this particular case, I'm not a professional astronomer, so I am a layperson. And what we're trying to do is show that there is a lot of support out there for Pluto being a planet. Um, our organization is essentially encouraging people to let the IAU know how we feel by focusing on a specific day. We've declared this upcoming February 4th, actually February 4th every year, but for this year, for the first February 4th in 2007, we're going to declare it International Save Pluto Day. Why February 4th? Because it's the birthday of Clyde Tombaugh, the man who discovered Pluto. And He's not still alive, is he? He is not still alive, although the, the woman who gave Pluto its name, the one who suggested name, who was a very little girl, she's actually still alive. Now, Tomba died a few years ago. Um, but we're declaring February 4th International Save Pluto Day. Uh, if you go to the website, you can find out what we're asking people to do. A lot of people were trying to do online petitions and letters, and what we said was, you know, the IAU may not listen to us if everything gets all spread out, but if they receive a whole lot of letters on or around February 4th, maybe that will do something. You know, the people working at the IAU offices in France if they find that the week of February 4th, they suddenly have thousands of letters from all over the world from people saying they support Pluto, maybe that will make an impact. So the first thing we're doing is encouraging people to drop a note to their offices saying, I support Pluto as a planet. Well, that's a great idea, and so the timing of this uh, podcast, it'll give people you know, a couple of weeks to do that. We're hoping that people would organize other activities and events, and one thing that we're doing right here in Brooklyn, Massachusetts, is we're having a special debate about Pluto, which is being held at the Clay Center Observatory. Um, it's actually part of the Dexter Southfield Schools. It's a real observatory. Um, we've been to their reflecting telescope. It's wonderful. And they've actually agreed to put together 
uh, a debate that Nomi and I, as officers of this organization, are going to be a part of, and they're bringing in some real scientists to discuss it, including it's possible, I can't say this for sure yet, but I know that they were talking to Owen Gingrich himself and seeing if he would be willing to come and to give his own perspective on the demotion of Pluto. Is he any relation to Newt Gingrich, by the way? Uh, no, Gingrich is spelled differently. I don't think so. Gingrich is spelled differently. Owen Gingrich is spelled G-I-N-G-E-R-I-C-H, I believe. All right, listen, it was great talking to you about this, and you know, we could talk about this for hours. Paul, thank you so much for the opportunity to talk on your podcast. Alpha Centauri, you're still the most beautiful star. And that's uh, Pete Rosenthal uh, and his recording of a song that Pete and I wrote in 2000 called Alpha Centauri. I wrote the lyrics, he wrote the music. If you'd like to hear the whole song, uh, you can listen to it on lightonlightthrough.com. Scroll down the uh, right-hand side of the page, you'll find a little player there that says Alpha Centauri, the song. And there's also a, a player on the paullevinson.blogspot.com site, uh, which is also on the uh, right-hand side of the page. And you'll also find a player buried somewhere on my profile page on MySpace. Now, I want to thank Michael Burstein again for that interview. And Michael mentioned some online sites where you could find out more about uh, Save Pluto. Save the cheerleader, save Pluto. Maybe that should be the new uh, saying. But let me give you these sites here again, and you can also find them uh, in the show notes to this episode on Light On, Light Through. But there's savepluto.livejournal.com. There is plutoisaplanet.org. And there's also MABFAN, M-A-B-F-A-N dot livejournal.com. And that last uh, website is actually Michael Burstein's uh, personal and professional website. And uh, as I mentioned before the interview, Michael Burstein is an award-winning science fiction writer. His main work is in the short fiction form. And if you go to fictionwise.com and you do a search on Michael Burstein, you'll find dozens of stories uh, by him, including many that have been nominated for awards and some that have won awards. So uh, you're in for a real treat if you uh, take a look at and read some of his stories. This podcast is proud to be part of the Blueberry Network. That's blueberry with no ease dot com. Yes, the blueberry community, sweet like the Milky Way. From Pluto to Alpha Centauri to the Milky Way, all part of the cosmos. And speaking of sweet, promo. Sweet. 
Hey, you're going to hear a promo for the MikeThinks.com podcast. And as you know, I think that's the savviest podcast in town. There's no better place to find commentary about the media. This past Tuesday, Mike had a great podcast in which he took on the RIAA, Record Industry Association of America. I hope that organization goes out of business. And Mike also had some very interesting commentary about Blockbuster, how they can survive in an age of Netflix and other ways of easily getting movies. And Mike uh, had also listened to my podcast last week on Dig. And Mike thought it was ironic that I would at all critique experts choosing stories when I'm an expert myself and I'm often called upon uh, to talk as an expert on television and radio. And actually, I have two responses to that. One is, hey, if I'm the expert, then I love experts. (laughs) And uh, second, consistency isn't all it's cracked up to be. But seriously, uh, I'm not against all experts, but I do think we need less of them and less reliance on them than we have here. And even regarding Pluto, I think the proper role of scientists in determining whether or not Pluto is a planet, let the scientists explain all the information they have, all the various facets of this issue, and then let humanity decide. Let the people decide whether they think Pluto warrants being called a planet or a dwarf planet, since the astronomers themselves seem to be in disagreement with this. We explain, you decide. Hmm, that has a familiar ring. Okay, also uh, in our promo suite, Sean Farrell. Don't forget his adventures in sci-fi publishing. And uh, on his show that just came out really a few hours after our last episode of Light On, Light Through last week, on that new show, I'll be... Uh, talking. I'm already talking there. So if you uh, log on to uh, Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing, you'll hear me talking about various media issues. And we have a couple of other great promos coming up for you also. Listen, I really enjoyed uh, talking to you again. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Michael Burstein. Thanks again, Michael, for that interview. And uh, if you agree with what Michael and I were saying, do what you can uh, to save Pluto as a planet. And I look forward to uh, talking to you again next week. In the meantime, sit back, relax, enjoy. the Mike Thinks podcast, www.mikethinks.com. News and current events with an opinion. The Mike Thinks podcast. It's the news you missed. www.mikethinks.com. Hey, publishing fans. This is Sean from the Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing podcast. If you're a fan of science fiction and fantasy literature, and if you're interested in learning the ins and outs of the publishing business, 
then this is the show for you. I interview best-selling authors. <laughs> Ari Salvador, so thanks for taking the time, Bob. Ah, it's great to be here. Industry experts. This is Keith R. A. And new writers who are blazing the path of publishing's future. I am、uh, Brandon Sanderson. So join me today at www.adventuresinsci-fi-publishing.blogspot.com and become a part of the adventure. Did you walk out of the Matrix and wonder if you're a battery in a jar? Did you walk out of Daredevil and wonder what is it like to be a bat? Do you and your friends stay up at night debating good and evil in the Star Wars universe? Does the question of life, the universe, and everything intrigue you? Then open your mind and tune into the Sci-Fi Show, thescifishow.com, and that's Fi with a Ph. Hi there, this is Jake from Just Not Right, the podcast. I used to do a show with my ex-wife Erin called "Choose the Left Exes," but now it's just me, and it's just not right. You can find me on the web at notrightpodcast.com. Check it out today; it'll make you smile. It's fun, light-hearted, sincere, open, candid, and a lot of times it's about you because you're the best, and I love you. So check it out today. Not right podcast dot com. <laughs>